0: It's go time.
1: 2023 has had its share of amazing stories. We'll dive into a few of them on Quick Kicks here, Third Down Gamble. Hi, everybody. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. We enter our fourth season. Of course, Jeff Crever graciously kicked it off for us with our first podcast of the year in 2023. The interview that I had with Steve Daniel has generated some interest on Twitter, which was great. So let's uh, dive into though, I guess what the number one story is, we'll just touch briefly on it. Damar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills is now looking like he's on his way to recovery, which is a very gratifying sight.
2: It's always a scary moment when you see a player go down with any injury, but the moment they start calling in reinforcements from the sidelines and that ambulance coming onto the field is very tough to watch. You never know exactly what's going on. So I am excited to hear that he is back at home now, been released from hospital and on his way back. It's, it's great news to see that he's on the road to
0: recovery. We wish him all the best and, and want to see him recover to the point he, where he's able to do whatever he wants to do. And uh, seeing an athlete go down like that and watching the sporting world pull behind him, and it, it's, it's inspirational, but at the same point, it is terrifying because nobody wants to see that happen to someone on the playing field, regardless of the sport. Just extreme bad luck. Commotio
1: Cordis is exceptionally rare, but it's basically a severe blow in 30 millisecond window. It's just ridiculous how the odds were stacked against something like that happening. The padding that he wears is to protect him from that. It did, for the most part, its job. It was one of those things. To give some sort of context to all of this, the last time a similar situation happened in the Canadian Football League was 1975 in a game in Calgary where Tom Pate, was blocked by Rick Galbos on a touchdown scoring play by Willie Burden. Pate got up after the block, said, let's get him, and then fell to the turf again. They brought out medical care for him. They whisked him away in an ambulance, and he died three days later from an aneurysm. Now, in the NFL, I believe it was 1971, if I'm not mistaken. But typically when you see this, there's an underlying medical condition that has been undiagnosed.
2: I think we need to give a a nod to everybody involved in this situation as well. They did everything right. We had the players calling for trainers immediately. They issued CPR to him on the field level. Very well-trained staff, medical experts as well. The ambulance was right on hand to get him off to the hospital, and he received great care there as well. So speed is of the essence in these types of situations, and it was a very quick reaction by everybody involved that saved this young man's life. Ironically, scoring has
1: started to tumble in the NFL at the same time the CFL has seen
0: its scoring go up. It has. A few years ago, I remember the discussion about how the NFL offenses seem to be clicking. They averaged in 2020 their highest scoring in history at 49.6 points per game and this Steve Daniel mentioned on our podcast last year, the CFL averaged 50.4. So the CFL seems to have gone back in where it's traditionally been higher than the NFL. The NFL has dropped each of the last two years. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that is due to the changes Steve identified. And I think that's a real positive situation for the CFL and for fans.
2: It is the placement of the offense after a field goal starting on the 40 yard line, is a, a little bit to do with that as well. I believe bringing in those hash marks uh, and widening the outside on the field a little bit helps as well. Not the physical dimensions of the field per se, but distance from hash mark to sidelines has created a little bit more space out there as well. So this is exactly what the CFL was hoping for when they discussed and implemented these changes and we're seeing the benefit of that already.
1: I'm not convinced that moving the kickoff back five yards or the single point out to the 40 yard line did much. I do agree that moving in the hash marks had a lot to do with it because that Z receiver now was suddenly a person that you had to be aware of what they were doing. I think the bigger thing is, and Steve alluded to this in the podcast is that nine out of 10 of the star CFL players returned and when he also made mention of numbers about how many rookie plays there were, in other words, they were making their first start playing and all that sort of stuff, that they were way down. That means you've got veteran experience, people that understand the game, you tend to see scoring improve. And I, I think that had a lot to do with it. If you can retain your best players, and the CFL clearly did from 21 to 22, if it does it again in 23, we could see scoring go up again because veteran players understand how to play the game.
2: Some of the changes to set uh, to contracts is going to come into play here as well, because we're going to start seeing not just veteran players sticking around in the league, but the continuity on each team with bringing back that talent with, with longer guaranteed contracts for the, the players you're going to see. We saw Zach Clariss for example, sign a three year contract extension players like that, that are key to a team's success. Are going to be sticking around longer.
0: Another factor that I would throw out there is the fact that we ran full training camp in the twenty twenty two season, as opposed to twenty twenty one when it was very, very uh, limited. And so, I think offenses came into the start of the season hitting more on all cylinders and having an, a play rather than playing through the first three or four games to to get that continuity of of execution that they may have been missing in 2021.
1: That's a valid point. If you get the practice time in, you do tend to perform better once the season is underway. Now the CFL of course has had its winter meetings at Kananaskis. Nothing really earth shattering came out of it. Nothing in the way of rule changes. And again, if you go back to that podcast just before Christmas with Steve Daniel, he talks all about this. He didn't think that uh, there would be because the, the rules needed to rest, as he put it. They, they needed to, to kind of maturate a little bit and, and see where they go before they start tweaking anything more. But a few of the things that came out, obviously Montreal's ownership issue is top of mind, but the estate of S- Sid Spiegel is still operating the team and they're, they're staying with it. I don't know if that's necessarily anything that's worrisome in the near future. I think down the road, I I imagine that's something that the CFL wants to get more solidified. So if they can get an ownership group that is committed to the franchise, and that's a good franchise to own, you would uh, would think that this is going to have to be a, a work in progress towards that. The other thing that came out of this, and it's interesting, is that, Randy Ambrosi kind of alluded to the love of football in Quebec City, specifically Laval, and maybe that's a spot where the CFL could expand.
0: It is. He, he also mentioned that the, the, the biggest appetite is for expansion to the Maritimes, which I think, you know, with the Atlantic Schooner and, and what was going on prior to COVID canceling the 2020 season seemed to be where we were headed That being said, I like the idea of that isn't able to be accomplished. At least Quebec City is potentially another option. If they do go to the Maritimes, they're going to look at a stadium that has temporary permanent, if you will, uh, seating. So instead of building or having to have a brand new stadium, they would take a look at existing stadiums and adding some semi-permanent seating to there until the... franchise potentially gets on footing. And I like the fact he also alluded to the collaboration between the league and some of the people they're speaking to in the Maritimes about how do we go about doing this so it's going to work for all parties
2: involved. That's a really exciting movement in the Atlantic expansion process because we've been hearing for years that it's the lack of a stadium that is what is essentially holding this idea back. So even temporary seating you can expand by several thousand to get more seats in those stands and you can introduce it that way. We, being lifelong fans of the CFL, can think back to some stadiums with some pretty rough seating in the early days. The old Winnipeg Stadium, the old Taylor Field, McMahon Stadium even still to this day. So to add temporary seating into into a place that is going to allow that expansion to, to take place is a great idea a great initiative the bc lions and i believe it was in 2010
1: ran their entire season out of a temporary stadium they called it empire stadium and it worked there's no reason why you just can't add stands to a stadium and make it work the one concern i guess is would the seats have backing which is always something nice but Beyond that, especially in Atlantic Canada, you don't get the minus 20 to minus 30 that
2: often is faced late in the season out West. Safety of the fans, amenities, watching facilities, concessions are going to be the other issue. But as long as they've got enough space, you can put temporary structures, temporary concessions in as well to make it as inviting of a fan experience as you can.
0: We've spoken previously on our podcast to the ability to balance the schedule and reduce your uh, number of times that teams are going to have a week off, probably from three to one if you're balancing, according to Randy Ambrosi. And if, if you have one bye week, it's going to shorten the season from 21 weeks down to 19 weeks, which I think could also have significant impact on the game. We've talked about having our playoffs earlier, and I think that that would allow the CFL to potentially move away from some of that inclement weather. It
1: would be in their best interest, I think, to play your championship game away from the risk of minus 25 to minus 30, especially if you're playing in a Western stadium. To me, it, it has just been hard to fathom why it's so important to play in November, late November, even December uh, in some years. The whole idea of having that 10th team, as Pat alludes is it's to balance everything. You have five teams in the East, five in the West. You don't have to have a balanced schedule. You don't have to play everybody twice. You can easily play a preponderance of your games in your own division and then play once against everybody in the other division that you'll have. And in my scenario, you play three in your own division, one against, let's say you're the East, you play one against the West and then you have an extra game. And then you could play the team that finished in the same spot as you did the previous year.
2: And there's your 18 games. It's it's really simple math to do it that way. And it kind of pulls a little bit from what the NFL does in their schedule as well, where you're playing the team opposite you that should be relatively competitive so that you get some more parity as well. This gives the the teams that finished fifth in their division that opportunity to eke out an extra win and they're not necessarily playing against the, the kings of the other division and trying to fight for every every opportunity that they get.
1: One thing that did not come out of this discussion at Kananaskis was four downs. It looks like that has been shelved once and for all. Keeping the Canadian game unique by having three downs and that pressure to perform on first down
0: especially is great for the game. It is, and I think that that's something that has resonated with me is that As we're hearing the GMs and and the reporters who are at the meetings talk about the CFL, it seems to be celebrating what we do, looking at ways we can tweak our game, as opposed to looking for some solutions that that change everything. And last year at this time, our conversation was very different because we were looking at possibly four downs, what's going to happen, what's viable. And, And this year, I think we see more tweaking and celebrating our game as it is, taking a look at potential for... Uh, revenue by negotiating a, a television deal with American channels. Randy Ambrose has certainly spoken to the possibility of that happening and we're hoping we'll hear something soon. And uh, I think it's also good to start talking about the, the financial health and well-being of the league and how do we move forward together with what we have.
1: The CFL traditionally has sold its American broadcast rights for a song. The thinking for the CFL was always, let's just get the exposure south of the border. Let's not worry about the money. The CFL has a following in the States and it's probably high time that the CFL now gets paid for those that want to watch the game in the United States. And the American networks, the types of dollars that we're talking about are splashes in the bucket compared to what they spend on other pro sports down there. ESPN, if you hear Chris Berman talk about it, ESPN in its, in its initial days of being a network, if it wasn't for the CFL, they didn't have football and they probably wouldn't have survived. ESPN may be an interested party in all of this.
2: I'd like to give a little shout out to our American listeners out there as well. We do know that there is a following in the US and ESPN and ESPN Plus seem to have been the locations most easily accessible for CFL football in this past season. We'll see what this next deal does look like, but uh, certainly we're seeing more Canadian players playing in NCAA football as well. So there's some name recognition back and forth. When we start talking about free agency, there are some Canadian players, not just CFL players, but Canadian born players that are signing NFL contracts as we speak as well. So you're getting that that exposure. And the more people become aware of that talent level coming from north of the border, the more it's going to help grow the CFL and get more eyeballs on the game down south. And that's also an area that's being talked about. We have a lot of NCAA
0: fans and, and college fans and they like to see their college players play. And those who have come up to the CFL, there's talk of partnership with Genius Sports to be able to tap into some of those network areas where they're going to be able to come and watch Zach Caleros, who was a star at his college team, play in the CFL. If if they know he's going to be playing on Friday at a specific time, people may start checking into that a bit more.
1: And this is the year that Genius Sports now starts to flex. This is, we, we know last year, Genius was sort of getting a lay of the land. They were trying to figure out what the CFL was, what it's about. They've had a lot of experience with American college football, but the CFL is a different animal, and they needed to learn. And credit to them, they took the time. Offering some new ventures for people to partake, fans, teams, and this will be the beginning of what we're going to see for the next 10 years in this contract that they've got with the CFL. And don't forget, Ingenious Sport, in their buy-in, If they do well, they make money off of this independently,
0: an opportunity to grow our own business with this. I'm excited to see what comes from that. You're right, John. I think the next year we'll see more concrete evidence of the role that Genius Sports has. I know that Randy Ambrose has said they've overperformed this year, but I think for the average fan, we haven't necessarily seen that connection yet, but I do believe that that will be forthcoming. I,
2: I believe sometimes we underestimate... How much information they were collecting and needed to get a handle on before they could make any big splashes in the CFL. This 2022 season was very much about gathering information, gathering data. I believe they leaned on. Steve Daniel and his stats crew as well, to learn not only what's going on this season, but some of the the history and nuances of the game as well. And you're right, this is their opportunity now that they've had that year of growth, that year of observation, where where they start to make things happen.
1: They are working in step with CFL statistics to bring new programming to them. It's going to be interesting to see how that manifests because the CFL has developed a very robust stats system and genius sports, if they are going to amend it or supplant it, they better have something pretty good. The other part of the equation too, and let's not forget this, We came out of 2020 where there was no season, 2021 where there was a partial season. This was the first time that we could actually breathe and watch an entire CFL season and then move into the next one. It's very different than what the the commentary was as we ended 2019. We didn't know that COVID was coming, but it was soon upon us. The CFL, we're already seeing some teams sign some players to extensions. Jamarcus Hardrick has just upped with the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Jake Ceresna has gone for two years with the Edmonton Elks. Cody Fajardo. Oh, wait a minute. He hasn't re-signed with the Rough Riders.
2: He hasn't re-signed, but apparently it's not out of the realm of possibility either. It looked at the end of the season that he was finished with the Rough Riders organization or more correctly, maybe that the Riders were finished with him. But you start to look at availability of players it seems to be that Nathan Rourke is going to sign somewhere in the NFL so that takes one starting quarterback out of play for CFL rosters as well so maybe you've got to look at the the devil you know sometimes is is better than the one that you don't and and that could be a situation where the Rough Riders and Cody Fajardo work something out. I think you'll see
0: not only Cody Fajardo, but others like Zach Evans at some point too, depending upon whether Hamilton is successful in in luring Bo Levi Mitchell to their team. Um, He's going to be one that could either be on the trade block or or teams may be interested in talking to Hamilton to see how they might acquire his rights, being that he has one year remaining. But it also seems like Hamilton has said, we're done there as well.
1: Well, by courting... Oh, Levi Mitchell as much as they have. I don't know if Dane Evans is going to feel welcome anymore. And we've already chronicled how he made a very public exit out of Hamilton. The Rough Riders could be suitors. Even Trevor Harris hasn't been re-signed by the Alouettes. Do the Rough Riders ever go that route? Do the Alouettes look at Dane Evans? It's, it's kind of a, an interesting little problem. The, the big carrot out there, of course, is Mitchell. Is he going to sign with the Tiger Cats? And if not, then who will be the lucky team to get him? Because let's face it, he's going to be an asset to any team that signs him.
2: Outside of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Zach Claire signing his extension and Jake Mayer in Calgary, do we feel confident confident about who the starting quarterback is anywhere else in the league at this point? McLeod Bethel-Thompson hasn't made his future plans known yet. Chad Kelly is under contract with the Argonauts, so they are likely to have one one of those two options. The BC Lions, as I mentioned, Nathan Rourke is likely gone. Vernon Adams Jr. is the front runner there, but nothing solidified. Ottawa Nick Arbuckle is once again a free agent. Jeremiah Mazzoli, we're uncertain of his health. There's a lot of places where I can't pencil in the starting quarterback. I, I believe Calgary and Winnipeg are the only two that I can confidently say who's starting week one.
1: Would it be not easier to follow the trek of Nathan Rourke in the NFL by listing or enumerating those teams for whom he has not tried out? It is quite a laundry list. (laughs) He has
0: been a very hot commodity there.
1: I'm beginning to think that this is a sign that there is just not enough interest in him and that the BC Lions are going to be the ones that are going to be benefiting from this. That's a lot of teams and a lot of sites and yet no contract.
2: Well, he can't actually sign a contract yet for another, another week.
1: Let's just toss that out the window for a second. Why is he continuing to go around if somebody showed interest?
2: Well,
0: I I think for him too, he's got to explore all the options because he does want to play. We see some unrest in the NFL in a number of places in terms of which quarterbacks are they going to go with. We've got many teams trying different people out, and so he's probably going to take a look at any offers that come forward. If he's got 10 teams and three or four make offers, he's going to choose what he believes is best for him. I I just can't get past the notion
1: that At some point, the tour stops because someone has shown enough of an interest and that he just has to ride out the waiting period.
2: I think we're going to disagree on this one, Don. I believe that Nathan Rourke signs somewhere at least as a second-string quarterback with an opportunity if somebody struggles. And One team that kind of piqued my interest was the Denver Broncos. Russell Wilson has not lived up to his contract and they need some help in there. I'm not saying that Nathan Rourke is necessarily going to take over that starting role in week one, but having somebody of his caliber and Russell Wilson continues to struggle, it might be an opportunity for him.
1: I'll
2: believe it when I see it.
1: I think Nathan Rourke has the skill and the tenacity to be in the NFL, but is he big enough? And that's the big problem for him. His brother is a lot larger than him. He probably has a bigger upside in the NFL than than Nathan does. And I don't want to diminish him because he's a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, but
0: not everybody fits everywhere. And to me, that that's what he and his agent have to be taking a look at. We want a good fit. I don't know that he'll make a second string, but he does want to get to be a third string who's going to have opportunity to play down the road. So many NFL teams are connected to the quarterbacks that they've drafted and or signed that are big money and to go with an unknown is relatively unheard of. It has happened. We've seen, you know, Garcia move from the Calgary Stampeders down to the States and have opportunity to get in and start relatively quickly. We've seen Doug Flutie do that, but but not all CFL quarterbacks get that opportunity. Most serve as a third string quarterback until a better option or draft pick comes along.
2: And we saw that this year with Chris Streveler and the New York Jets. He had a phenomenal. Preseason and, and one of the best preseasons by a quarterback and was immediately released and then re-signed on the practice roster, snuck back in late in the season and had a really good outing as well uh, in the second half. He put up in the, in the fourth quarter alone, he put up what the starter did in the first three quarters of a game. So the legend of Chris Streveler starts to grow a little bit, but he has at this point, re-signed with the Jets to their practice roster once again for the 2023 season. So, and In my opinion, Chris Strebler does not have the quarterback ability of Nathan Rourke. He's bigger and stronger, as we mentioned, that, player, that teams look for, but not the finesse and that passing skill that Nathan Rourke has.
1: Nathan Rourke is up against it. He already did this tour once before, and nobody signed him to be a quarterback.
2: But what an audition he had this year in that first half of the CFL season to prove that they maybe had some short-sightedness in overlooking him the first time around.
0: Name recognition is huge in the NFL. For Nathan Rourke to have an opportunity, he's going to have to show in practice over time that he is going to be consistent and have the ability to outperform someone. He may actually have that ability, but whether or not he gets the chance to do that, the NFL often doesn't take risks and quarterbacking is one of the premier places where you're not willing to take risks. You stick with the known, you stick with the journeyman over an unknown. Taylor
1: Heineke in Washington is a classic case where he came out of one of the spring leagues, but because he didn't have that pedigree behind him, he has struggled mightily to be the starting quarterback in Washington. Even though his numbers are good, even though when he starts, they win, He's not always there on the field. And this is the part of the thing. It's been spoken to by some of the players in the NFL. They want a quarterback from a big name school that's proven that they've won before. And Nathan Rourke just doesn't have that in his vitae either. Maybe I'm just being a little bit hopeful that nothing works out and he's back in the CFL. And maybe that's what's showing through me. But he is up against it. And... I wish him the best, but I'd love for him to be back in black and orange out on the coast. I
2: think we all would love to see him back in the CFL. You, You want to see CFL players succeed, and whether that's being a star in the CFL or getting an opportunity to compete on an NFL team, you wish them all the best. And a couple of other CFL players of note, Ty Ford, defensive back for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who was not a starting defensive back this year. He was a rookie and had some a few starts here and there based on injury, but he has signed with the Green Bay Packers. And all indication is that Keon Schaefer-Baker is very close to signing an NFL contract as well and likely will be once that window opens up for him. So a couple of guys that were starting to make a mark in the CFL seem to be headed south and have some opportunities there. It's great as a marketing
1: ploy for the CFL to have that. And I've said it repeatedly in this podcast that the CFL is a far better vehicle if you want to get back to the NFL or to the NFL than a spring league. Because a spring league, you're playing in the same calendar year as the NFL. You're not going to have the energy to play a 17-game schedule once you're... But the CFL, because it runs at the same time, Granted, it's not that season you're going to be there, but it will be the following season, and that makes more sense. You have time to rest, train, and then prepare. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth
0: watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and threedownnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.